0: Welcome to the SOSV Climate Tech Summit podcast series. I am the AI voice of Ben Joff, a partner at SOSV and co curator of the summit. In this episode, three startup founders discussed the importance of climate data and measurement. Pano AI developed a solution for active wildfire detection using cameras and satellite feeds. Kairos uses satellite imagery to provide independent data for financial institutions, insurance companies, and government regulatory bodies. Gaia AI uses satellite technology to measure greenhouse gas emissions, biomass, and biodiversity. He also mentions their focus on timber companies and connecting them to the carbon market. The conversation touches on the challenges and opportunities in their respective industries. It is moderated by Devin Coldwee, writer at TechCrunch. Thank you to SOSV for hosting this uh, great event,
1: and uh, we have with us uh, Sonia, Peter, and Antoine. Uh, I want to throw to you guys really quick to uh, introduce your your companies and technologies and what you hope to accomplish with them, if you can fit that into a very quick intro. uh, Maybe we can start with Sonia.
2: Hi, I'm Sonia Kastner. I'm the CEO of Pano AI. Uh, We have developed a fully managed solution for active wildfire detection and intelligence Uh, and we do this by mounting cameras to high mountaintop locations combined with satellite feeds Uh, and we uh, use these cameras to detect the first wisps of smoke using artificial intelligence and then we alert first responders so they can contain the fire while it's still small and we hope to help roll back this devastating wildfire trend using modern day technology.
1: Great. And Antoine, you're, you have a sort of a, a higher, higher perspective. Where, where are you at?
3: Yes. So um, I am the founder and president of Keros. And Keros is a god of opportunity in the, in the, in the Greek mythology. And the opportunity is to use satellite to measure the three key parameters that we need to manage climate change. So the first one is to measure greenhouse gas emission. So we do that by satellite. Uh, that was not done before. Um, the second thing is we uh, we measure biomass and biodiversity to look at you know whether the trees are growing or not on a global scale, and finally we also look at wildfires fires and physical risk to model that uh, that from the top, which is very complementary to what Sonia is doing.
1: Absolutely, and Peter, you have the a very uh, ground level perspective on this.
3: Um, we effectively
0: kind of bridge the gap between that and satellite. Um, also another Greek, uh, another god ours, uh, is Gaia AI, the Greek goddess of nature. Um, and so with Gaia, what we're building is a data platform that helps timber companies basically maximally utilize the their management of their forests for both timber and producing wood supplies for society um, for their own business model, but also bridging the gap towards verifying things like carbon credits or measuring biodiversity, mitigating forest fire risk, um, things like those. Uh, and we use a uh, lidar and, sa- and cameras on the ground below the canopy um, and merge that with satellite imagery from above in order to um, do this kind of optimization.
1: Excellent. Uh, well, thanks for the intros. Uh, I feel like the first question that comes to mind with this like emerging and complex uh, sort of uh, coincidence of, of industries is who is the who is the customer? Like uh, who, who wants what you've got? Ultimately, obviously, you are you're feeling a need, whether that's public or commercial. And sometimes it can be surprising uh, where these sort of tech-forward services fit into the uh, this, this complicated equation. Uh, so, uh, Peter, you mentioned forestry as well as fire and stuff like that. Maybe you can start and uh, continue your thoughts there, and we'll get to Sonia and Antoine.
0: Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, well, to start off, actually, this is probably a, a really interesting question for Gaia because we, we pivoted like heck at the beginning, right? It uh, was a, a long soul, uh, soul search trying to figure out how do we build up a sustainable and attractive business um, while doing the kinds of things we want to. And what we found was that um, we're very passionate about a carbon market, but there was actually a growing skepticism in the market from uh, investors and from others around value just from carbon. Um, And so where we kind of found our DNA was, okay, let's create a ton of value for these timber companies. And it also aligns very strategically with the kinds of problems we want to solve around carbon to, to make these credits real and, and high quality. Um, so let's partner and, and get involved with these timber companies, providing a lot of value with what they do today, and then also build the technology, the, the perfect technology to connect them to the carbon market and start to solve some of those problems. Um, so our, our, our customer is these timber companies, is um, you know, the, the big companies that are managing millions of acres of forestry, Um, and are trying to uh, explore the new AI and the new, um, you know, LIDAR, all these kinds of technologies in the future. My team and I come from autonomous vehicles, and so we're pretty much like we bridge this gap for them. We bring some of the cutting edge of what's coming out of MIT and all these autonomous vehicle companies to solve these problems that they have today around timber inventories, but then also connect them to, to the growing carbon market.
1: I feel like that overlaps really nicely with Sonia your your side of things. It feels like there's definitely, if not overlap, that like a sort of complementary feel to that. Where does where do you fit in there?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, so our we sell to a range of industries, uh, and our customers are any uh, entity that needs to know about a new fire ignition within minutes. Uh, And that, of course, includes fire agencies that are responsible for suppression at the city, county, state, and federal level. Um, But it also includes um, asset owners uh, and and industries that have big physical world footprints. So the power uh, utility uh, sector is a large customer base for us. They need to uh, make decisions around uh, de-energizing assets or informing, uh, say, a hospital that they might be about to lose power. Um, We also work with um uh, forestry companies as well um who have assets at risk ski resorts that need to be able to um evacuate their um their uh, uh residents um and so uh, and uh, also the insurance industry has been really interested in the data that we're gathering as well so um uh, we're actually every it feels like every week we're um starting to sign up a customer in a new industry
1: I'm not surprised. And I, I've heard the same thing about satellite imagery, obviously, Antoine. Uh, in, in various domains, there's this huge demand for it, this huge appetite for it. But it's there are new markets coming all the time. So where have you found that uh, your approach to satellite imagery and analysis has gotten traction?
3: So we really focus ourselves on uh, on creating independent measurements. So the beauty with satellite that you don't need to ask permission to be... You know, to, to measure something on the ground. So we uh, we really uh, produce independent data that will be used mainly by financial institutions and governments, so regulatory bodies. And financial institutions can be investors um, because we are going to give them uh, a specific view on uh, the quality of an asset. So it's an investment decision support. Uh, it can be the risk um uh, department of uh, you know wholesale banking because we will uh, inform the bank on their um, physical risk uh, around wildfires, droughts or flooding or their um, finance emission risk because there is a huge gap between uh, what companies report in terms of emission and what we uh, we measure. so and finally, Insurance will be very interested also to know uh, the you know to have model uh, you know of the physical risk. So it's really financial institution at large, and then you know government will use that you know to send fines. And uh, so for now, you know there is no loop of detecting missing and finding. But you know with the IRA, it's it's happening. You know, and uh, soon there will be a fine if uh, there is a missing leak, and uh, uh, will be part of this monitoring system.
1: Mm-hmm. And. I, I suppose a, a, an interesting uh, perspective on this I feel is that, that we need to quantify pretty much everything you're measuring more we need we need more data uh, but how do you how do you determine whether your product or your your service is a success whether the thing you're putting out there is is having an effect do we have the data and the policies already in place where you can say well before we you know were able to alert wild uh, you know uh, emergency uh, staff about wild fighters or ski resorts or whatever we you know we had this kind of response we had this kind of uh, risk and after we have this kind of risk we have this kind of response do we have the data and the policies to 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 like learn whether you are having an effect and if not how do we get those i feel like peter you seem to have be nodding your head a lot there's a lot of uh, you have opinions
0: i, I have opinions Yeah, <laughs> I, I love this question right Um, And so, like the, I did an MBA towards entrepreneurship. The cliche of an MBA in entrepreneurship is people yelling at you to to talk to the customer. Right. So we spent two years talking to the customer, and in those two years, half of that or a part of that, right, was the demand side. Was uh, the people at Google, Microsoft, Amazon, you know, like the people buying these credits? What do they care about? Um, And there was a huge disconnect between that and the supply right? The supply side is so focused on their own problems, which is how do we create more credits? How do we increase the quantity of credits? And the the demand side who's buying it is looking at the quality around how do I know that this is additional and truly making an impact? Um, Every Bloomberg article that comes out or Forbes that's tearing apart forestry, for example, in carbon credits is poking at exactly this, right? Is poking at errors in the additionality of of what these credits are trying to do. When I pay for one ton of carbon, how do I know that that one ton of carbon was truly sequestered and in a world where I did not pay for that credit, it would not have been. Um, mm-hmm. And so we built up Gaia, honestly, this was so core to what we're trying to solve, right? And, and, and we took this kind of like macro perspective on it. It's very cliche MIT, right? They try to throw uh, system dynamics at everything. And I think here it really applies. Um, so we zoomed in on, okay, how do we actually get at this additionality? And our argument, right? What we're building up with Gaia by partnering with these timber companies is getting a data-driven way to show additionality Is getting okay here's what they would have done in a world without this credit and we know that because we help them do it right we help them optimize their bottom line and their force management based on the incentives that they have today and what their fiducial responsibility to their shareholders right but then beyond that then we get to go to the customer and we set this up in a win-win we solve this problem so it it, it solves everyone's problems right where i go to the same customer the timber company and i say look i told you guy can make you this much money i lied to you Can make you so much more money Right? And what is that difference? That difference is carbon, biodiversity, forest fire mitigation, all these positive externalities for society. Right? And now we can measure that impact and go to the market and ask for something that's not a, a freaking $7, $14 a ton credit Right, that's holding this back. Ask for something for that quality that's closer to $20, $50 when direct air capture is selling for 100 Right, So we want to solve all these problems by building up the business in this way.
1: Gotcha. And uh, Sonia, have you had uh, some sort of like, it feels like you have in a way, maybe the most, I don't want to say easy to measure, but you are working with very direct uh, events of like, we were able to respond this fast before, now we can respond in 15 minutes or whatever.
2: Uh, Yes, it's, you know, now that we have been in market uh, and um, detecting and alerting on incidents um, thousands of times for three years, um, I, I think we do at this point have a lot of qualitative and quantitative data to point to um, that that you know shows the value of, of this technology and in, in uh, reducing wildfire risk uh, for our customers. Uh, you know, first of all, even before uh, to Peter's point, you know, you don't start a company until you feel confident you're going to solve a real problem. You know, before, even before Panther was founded, there had been studies across the globe around the the pretty obvious uh, it, uh, insight that every minute matters in fire response. Um, The the sooner that a suppression resource can get to an incident and the sooner they can get there with a heavy response, the the smaller the fire is when it's contained and the less destruction. Um, And this has been shown through studies in Australia and the U.S. um, uh, And I mean, if you look at a fire station, there's a fire pole so that firefighters can shave seconds off of their time to get to the fire. So, uh, you know, time is everything in firefighting. So um, we built a tool to shave minutes and hours off of the response. Um, And then, uh, you know, so um, we do that through both the detection with AI, um, which can be faster than waiting for a bystander to happen to see the fire. And then we can also shave minutes and hours off of the time that it takes to pinpoint and confirm that it is a true fire because a lot of 911 calls are not, um, are actually false alarms. They could be a fog or a campfire. Yeah. Um, and and if to fi- finally, you know, every single week now during fire season, we get calls from our users saying, oh my God, yesterday you pushed us an incident and it made all the difference. You know, This was a fire that was started as a structure fire. It was right next to a forest. Because of Pano, you alerted us earlier. We were able to get there with a heavy response. We contained it from even getting to the forest and even becoming a vegetation fire, or we contained this vegetation fire at just five acres because we were able to pull in a helicopter sooner. Um, and these stories have now come in Week after week after week for the three years we've been in markets.
1: That's great. It feels like it must be very validating for your for your sort of uh, your approach. For someone to say like the fire is smaller because of what you made available to us. Um, and Antoine, you you have a with as with more data and more abstract uh, analysis. I feel like maybe you. Uh, there's more of a quantitative approach. Uh, is there? Have you have you seen any effect on uh, the companies that you've worked with, or uh, you know the ability to enforce policies or uh, that kind of thing?
3: So it really depends on the you know players. So financial institution today they they use that almost you know on a daily basis. So commodity traders, hedge funds, they use satellite-based information uh, for their investment decision for their risk analysis. So. It's becoming mainstream for, uh, uh, finance, you know, the buy side, uh, insurance as as well. You know, we have insurance companies that are using our uh, wildfire risk score to make underwriting decision and pricing decisions. So this really, it's becoming day today. You know, and it, it has really moved from the military to, uh, you know, financial institution. Um, also, uh, you know, I agree with Sonia for. Uh, uh, firefighters, you know, we provide them with the quantity of vegetation around the buildings, which give them the opportunity to decide whether to prioritize or not. You know, uh, this building versus this building, and uh, we made a test this uh, this uh, summer with uh, the 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 Saint Tropez, you know, firefighters, you know, in the in the south of France, and it was very useful for them. They they used to to have in maybe 10% of, you know, a view on 10% of the building. And now they're at 100% of the building with a weekly refresh on what was the status of vegetation around the building. So that's that's really working now. That's great. It is really slow, is uh, using, you know, on the regulatory body, you know, the UN and uh, that's very slow. It takes a lot of time to uh, to use the information we create around Mesa and to find that. So that's my, uh, that's my next um, battle, let's say.
1: Yeah, well, and I, of course, I think we all understand why it's slow and those things. Just fundamentally, uh, UN, EU, all this kind of stuff is it acts slow and but hopefully effectively at the end. Um, it's not as it's not as uh, important. I mean, it's very important in the long term, but in the short term, I'm kind of curious. All three of your companies kind of straddle the the line between sort of real time and more long term data collection and analysis, uh, and you you have opportunities to do both. But how do you think that the, the data ecosystem that you're participating in uh, and that you're helping change, how is that going to accommodate these new capabilities? How is it going to uh, integrate them? And where does it need to move faster, do you think? Um, Sonia, I feel like maybe you've you've had the most exposure to this like really short-term, like, we need this now uh, part, sort of feeling.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. I think this is where all of these um, data... Uh, New data products are really complementary and greatly needed. Um, The the disaster management industry includes four phases. There's the real-time response phase, uh, which is the heat of the moment of the disaster, but there's also recovery, there's mitigation, there's preparedness, um, and the, the theme we heard from our customers is that they are looking for more data at all of these phases. Um, emergency managers are starved for data and and um, natural disasters are getting worse and worse due to climate change. Uh, and, and data can be, it's not the only tool, but it can be one tool to help emergency managers uh, to rise to the challenge. And so, uh, you know, Pano's um, first product is focused on solving a critical gap in the um, uh, real-time phase of a fire during fire season with a suppression product, with a suppression solution. Actually, that same suppression technology that we deliver is also being used by our customers as a mitigation technology to help safely monitor prescribed burns in the off-season. And similarly, our customers are using our incident archive to to analyze historic incidents, to uh, help them make mitigation investment decisions. Like for example, utility customers are embarking on a process of, of burying power lines and uh, they have to make decisions around how, how to design a phased rollout of that expensive and and time consuming process. Um, So uh, I think first of all, real-time data can be later used as, um, as, offline data to help make decisions in the other phases, but also complementary solutions um, from Peter's company and as well as Kairos can, can um, uh, add a complementary offline uh, data stream. So I think more is more. Yeah, you know, we, we need data at all these phases of the disaster lifecycle.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that dovetails well with what, Antoine, what you were just talking about. Are, are you finding that there is uptake and, and demand for the data that you're providing? Are there some sides of the industry that are faster to move? Or uh, what? what is your, your experience here with uh, how the, this data economy is evolving?
3: So the, the, the Ukraine war has been um, um, a defining moment to show, you know, to demonstrate the value of open source intelligence. Um, and clearly, uh, we see much more interest following, you know, this very unfortunate situation, you know, by uh, economic uh, players to use this technology for economic decision. And uh, we've really seen a, a big change in the last twelve months. And uh, as I said, you know, all the buy side is moving into that. All the insurance, you know, companies are moving into that. So that's that's uh, that's a, that's a tide that won't stop. You know, I think, you know satellites uh, and other type of data mean that you can know everything that is happening anytime everywhere in the planet and when you think about the opportunity that uh, this kind of data brings to you i mean it's uh, it's infinite it's going to be a game changing like gps used to be or the internet you know it's a it's a core technology that will change uh, uh, a lot of decision making in the in the future
1: well, and I think people are going to adopt it, whether they uh, whether they like it or not. Uh, Peter, I feel like your your data is uh, is is more specialized. I think like and it, it is uh, more sort of a responsive, sort of feels in the the middle part here uh, of this of these these two, not to say extremes, but uh, the very the hyper local and the the top view. So where does where do you fit in, and have you seen? Do you think that this this you fit into a new data economy?
0: Yeah, th- I mean, there's a lot there. Um, so. Again, my, my bias on the world, my lens is from the autonomous vehicle space, right? Writing that that kind of AI, um, and no no car drives just off of lidar, or just off of camera, or just off of radar, right? It's it's uh, sensor fusion is a buzzword for a good reason, right? It's about um, each sensing modality has huge strengths and huge weaknesses, um, and so the name of the game is by combining these different modalities, you can get this guy's strengths and, and this guy's weak um, this guy's strengths to overcompensate for each other's weaknesses. Um, and so that's that's a, a view that we definitely have on the world. Um, I view the world of, of data on these two dimensions that I think most matter for as far as forest inventories and timber. Uh, one is scale, um, and there, uh, satellite imagery is, is king, right? Um, but the problem with satellite imagery is, is it's the, the weakest measurement that you'll get on the forest, as far as all the other offerings. It's a sensor that's miles away from the from the measurement, um, and it's it's a, some blurry pixels that you're trying to infer a lot of information out of. Um, the opposite of the extreme that we offer is the sensing backpack below the canopy. As far as all technologies, this is like the least scalable thing you'll ever do, right? You saw a human, a forester, walking around below the canopy, but it's the richest measurement measurement you'll ever get on those trees. Um, and a lot of that measurement is the, the trunk that's below that canopy. Um, so our, our approach really is about, okay, let's combine all these different approaches um, and, and get the strengths of each um, in order to compensate for the weaknesses of each. Um, but the other, the other um, thought here is that so this is new, right? And we're plugging into a pretty old industry. Um, and so we try to make it look, this is very core to, to everything we're, we're building. We try to make it look and feel very familiar, right? And so we plug into how they think about the world today and the data that they collect today, which is in terms of plots, right? And, and they abuse central limit theorem so hard, right? They, they, they use that to try to get statistical confidence on averages of whole areas. And so we plug into that. We plug into that kind of statistics and that kind of way of thinking, um, but we just improve it so much more. And then we, we also hint to them, here's what, what this can be, right? We show them a technology that can do so much more, but by plugging into what they do today.
1: Right. Um, and uh, I want, so this, this actually transitions very well into talking about the advances in the technology, uh, what, what, how they've made possible what you're going to do. And Antoine, I, 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 give, I will give you the chance to respond to the blurry pixels far away uh, allegation thrown by Peter. Uh, but I actually – but Peter, I wanted to – what you were talking about, you know, you're, you're at that very low level. You've got a hiker with a backpack, you know, walking through the forest – I've seen for some projects like this uh, where they are using drones, where they're using robots, where they're using various other automated means. Why stick to the hiker side of things and you know, especially with your autonomous vehicle uh, you know, background, why, why make this choice and like, how is that going to evolve in the future? And then we can talk – the others can talk about how, uh, how theirs is evolving as well.
0: I love this. Oh man, sorry. These are like my favorite topics. <laughs> um, and also, every time I go to ICRA or IROS, any kind of robotics and AI conference, that's the question I get. Right? Why can't it be a drone? Or why can't you put like Boston Dynamics walking through it? Um, the answer is a fewfold. Right. Um, so I, when I was growing up, I interned at at uh, what's their name? Um, Palantir. Right. And Palantir, coming out of PayPal Mafia, um, has this has this kind of view on the world of um, that it's the golden age of augmentation, not full out automation. Let's let's empower the human expert right? With these kinds of technologies and these kinds of capabilities. It's also responsible AI, right? You're not replacing the job. Um, timber industry is an industry that has a growing labor shortage. They can't supply enough people to do this work. So we make the, the forester a superhuman, right? With, by empowering them with this. Um, it's also bootstrapped, right? Uh, we're not so cocky that we're going to try to build the whole thing and automate the heck out of everything all at once. And we know we can't do that, right? We need to, we need to start with specific things that create a lot of value. And the forester bridges the gap, right? They add so many insights that are hard to, to automate with AI, and they bring insights and education and experience that, that creates a lot of value. Um, the other problem, that though, is um, so I'm not, I'm not a complete skeptic around, for example, things flying over the canopy and collecting data that way, um, aerial LIDAR, aerial camera imagery. Um, and so we have an, S, uh, an, an NSF grant with an AI lab at Carnegie Mellon Largely exploring, you know, it's kind of awkwardly in the middle of these two axes or right? it's, it's uh, less scalable than satellite. It's less rich of a measurement than our measurement below the canopy. Um, so does it actually create value in this context where we where use both of these to complement each other? Um, and I'm, I'm skeptical, but we are exploring if there is value there. Um, but as far as below the canopy, um, it's the most technically hard problem to solve. getting drones or other things to fly through these trees, that creates the least amount of business value to the customer. Because they still need to deploy a person to deploy that drone, um, limited battery capacity. Um, and, and now it's a different human, right? It's not the, the skill set that they employ today. It's a totally different technical skill set. Right, right. Um, so that's, that, that kind of all led to our decision making of starting here and here. right? right, let's use the most scalable and combine it with the most rich measurement. And we are exploring drones above canopy as something in the middle. Um, but we are, we're healthy skeptics of, of the value that that might create.
1: Gotcha, uh, Sonia. I think this is—it's interesting that you—you uh, you have obviously you have to apply the sort of modern computer vision and AI techniques to characterize uh, smoke plumes and other features that you see. I'm sure there's a lot of opportunity there, but there's also this like this challenge of actually putting cameras at the tops of eminences or mountains or watchtowers uh, and installing those. It's like this combination of like the old school forestry and mountaineer uh, capabilities and needs—the practical needs. But also the, like the super high tech, cutting edge, we need to be able to identify this immediately. Uh, so how has the how has technology enabled you, and what are the the challenges
2: you're still facing there? Great question. You know that, and I think that goes to the question of you know why are there not. A dozen venture back companies, uh, you know, putting up cameras for AI detection. When, right. when you know, the Nest Cam, which I worked on in 2014, you know, was is a technology that has been around for a long time. And the Ring doorbell, um, uh, you know, our product uh, uh, from a technology perspective has is very similar. Um, uh, now we are um, leveraging from a technological. Perspective: We are leveraging technological advancements over the last five years, like 5G technology and Starlink, uh, really improve connectivity deeper into the forest. Um, we're leveraging advances in in cloud scalability and computer vision um, uh, over the past five years. But um, but I would say the most difficult uh, one of the most difficult parts of our business is indeed the operational challenge. Um, and I'm sitting here in our factory today. We um, I have a background in supply chain and manufacturing. Uh, and Pano needs to be not just an IoT technology company like a Nest or a Ring, um, but we also need to be an equipment manufacturer and installer as well. Um, mm-hmm. Combined all under one roof. So we manufacture the equipment ourselves. We have a network designer who designs the optimal network based on existing um, tower locations, um, and the uh, uh, our team uh, uh, handles leasing. Uh, it's actually very similar to the supply chain for um, installing telecom, like installing equipment for cellular uh, carriers. Um, uh, and um, we actually, one of our investors is T-Mobile and they provided a lot of expertise for us on how to deploy equipment in remote locations. And uh, so the fact that we, we've we now gotten very good at this and we can install very rapidly at high volume and, uh, and we're now you know, set up to scale this technology across the globe. We're already in six states in the U.S. and soon to be four states in Australia. Um, we're planning to have hundreds of units by the end of this year, and um, but but very few companies have. That capability, combined with the technological expertise to deliver complex hardware, software, and AI.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting and unique challenge. Uh, and uh, Antoine, now is now is your chance for revenge on Peter. Uh, but also, I think it's it's very interesting. You have an interesting uh, perspective as a software, as like a pure software play on satellite imagery. And so I'm I'm curious how the how the software side of things has evolved when the actual imagery you know from Galileo or, or uh, the various planet monitoring satellites that you use as raw data, that doesn't change but your ability to interpret that data or analyze it produce value from it changes. So I'm, I'm curious how that has progressed for you.
3: Yeah, it's all about using um, you know combination of physical modeling and uh, machine learning and AI because uh, you know the sensors are not blurred because if you use a phase of uh, a SAR, you know, synthetic you know, aperture radar, you know, your resolution is one millimeter. So we can see millimeter changes from the sky. It's the same with the LIDAR. So there is uh, a bunch of uh, sensors that are extremely precise uh, and at scale. And that's the interest of uh, um, satellite imagery. But to have something that is reliable, you need to have the, the ground truth to calibrate your models. Okay. And this is where it takes a lot of time and expertise to be able to to create the right combination of sensors that create a proxy and a measurement that is reliable and at scale and there is many things we cannot do we cannot see below the canopy for instance but we can measure the height of the of the of the trees very well at scale we know we've covered the full amazon we can count all the trees we can have the full measurement of the canopy but there is an error rate which is 10 or 15 percent which is um much higher, obviously, than what you will get if you go on the ground. So the, the there are um, arbitrage that you have to do between scale and the error that you are looking for. As far as we are concerned, our customer they are looking for independent measurement. And they had nothing before. And now there's something which is 1%, 5%, 10% error rate, which is much better than anything else have had before.
0: Uh, That's also great. Just to,
1: just to um, Peter. Peter, you want to respond really quickly, and we got to wrap up. But uh, yeah, I, w- I want to hear what you say.
0: I, I do want to throw in the, the white flag that that was not meant to uh, on a <laughs> uh, No, no him, I, know. I I think what he's building is actually really cool. So uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I'm great. just I'm just I'm just yakking. Um, so we we have just like just like a minute left. So I just want to uh, give you all the opportunity to really quickly, maybe if you have anything cool upcoming, like any upcoming projects or research or. Um, Something that you want to throw out there? Just if you have, you know, just throw it out there. If you got, you got, consider yourselves to have a free ten seconds to see what's uh, what's happening. Sonia, you, you got anything, anything cooking?
2: Uh, l- look for our announcements uh, of a bunch of new customer de- deployments all across the United States over the next few weeks.
3: Antoine, you got anything cool? The the cool thing coming up is using geostationary. Uh, uh, satellite to monitor in real time uh, what you know, we know we we used to have one uh, image every day now we'll have uh, you know uh, permanent monitoring and uh, that's going to be very interesting
1: i bet and peter you're going to bring in a backpack up here to the pacific northwest i can give it a try
0: please do um we're, we're lining up some pretty exciting uh, pilots for q4 Um, And so, you know, I I can say that forestry management as practice is going to look very different in three years because we're going to make it the case. And so we're excited. You know, if you're a timber company or know any, come partner with us. And we're we're launching some really cool technology in the next few months.
1: All right. Well, uh, thank you all for uh, taking the time to talk. Uh, This is super interesting. And I love how these three companies sort of work together in this uh, like as as different layers of this really complex industry. So thanks very much, uh, Peter, Sonia, and Antoine, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, Devin.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks so much.